0: What is up ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Psychic's Thoughts. Today we're going to be discussing a lot of things, because there's a lot of things happening in the gaming industry, and I just, I have the day off today and I really want to talk about a handful of things, so there may not be as much structure to this. So I've been considering talking about gaming news and kind of plugging it in this stuff, but, of course, it's a podcast, and it's a long podcast, so it's like, how could we do that, you know? How can I keep up with that? But here's what I'm going to call it, okay? Well, I don't know what I'm going to title it, but I'm going to say that this will be about the the hot things in gaming right now, right? News of the week, news of the month, I don't know. This might be something where it's so inconsistent I can only do this one month at a time but this will be those times where I want to talk about a smattering of things in the video game industry because I don't have enough info or data on one singular game or one singular topic, right? Obviously, when I play a game or when I have initial thoughts, those will still keep continuous, of course. Or when I have thoughts on the on some philosophical or general mechanical process of of the industry or of different industries, film, music, video games, whatever I may want to talk about that day. That's all well and good, okay? But I want to talk about a handful of things today. Of course, within the video game industry, of course, it will probably circle back around to many of my points and feelings and opinions on uh, a lot that I've already covered in previous episodes, but as always, this is an off-the-top-of-the-brain podcast, I'm just going free flow of thought, and, um, yeah. So, once again, thank you all for listening. Go check out my latest album, Phoenix, on all streaming platforms. Show the love over there if you like hip hop under Psychic, PSYKICK, capital P, capital K. You could also check out my films, uh, on my YouTube channel under the same name, Instagram or TikTok under Psychic34. And, uh, my production company with my, uh, good friend and colleague, Mr. Norkis himself, Psychus Productions, PSYKUS Productions. Um that would be greatly appreciated as well as the latest single from C's, SEIZ. You can go check out his music on all streaming platforms as well. He has a new single called Time Machine. It's a dope ass song and I'm not just saying that because I feature on it. I'm saying that because it's a dope ass song and you should definitely go listen. So, thank you all again for the support. I hope you have a great day and let's get into some of the hot topics of the month of video games. Here we go. Call of Duty Gotta start swinging big, huh? Alright, we're two days away from COD's uh, global rollout for Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. And I've talked about my open beta impressions. <laughs> I pre-ordered it. Okay, now here's here's the thing. Don't kill me, alright? Listen, I know it's contradicting everything I say. I know that I, I, I get on the AAA industry. I know that I've mentioned the problems with COD. I know COD is one of the greatest proponents to the uh, vicious cycle of AAA gaming. I understand all of those things. So why would I support a game with my money, because when you purchase it, you give it more power. Here's the thing, it doesn't fucking matter. I mean, it does. If everyone collectively decided to not buy this Call of Duty, they would change course. They lie about their earnings reports, but Vanguard, God Vanguard, remember that shit show? That game did not sell nearly as well as anything that they did in the past three years up to that point. That's why they put Sledgehammer in a corner and said, No more World War II games, you stupid fucks. It doesn't work anymore. At least not now. You know, they lied. They said it was their highest selling game. It wasn't. You can go into their earning reports. (laughs) Folks, Activision Blizzard's a public company. You can see exactly what earns what. I mean, you know, it's delayed because the quarterly earnings have to come in and stuff. So if you're looking at the annual report, it is delayed, but it, it doesn't matter. You get the gist of it from that. And depending on when you go and look at it, it will be more accurate over time. So my point is that people forget, especially in America, but because of globalism and capitalism spreading like a fucking uh, STD... the the people like, oh, we don't have a voice. Oh, we don't have freedom. Oh, da 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 And that's kind of true. I mean, our freedoms and rights are are very, very reduced because, I mean, people think that they're free, but then they're like, oh, well, I can't do this because I can't afford this. That's not freedom. Not in my eyes. Sure, you're not actively being oppressed, so we have it better than many other people around the world, and we should always be thankful for that, but... um. Not completely free. And it's not one of these things where it's like, I I hate when people are like, well, it's just, it is the way it is. Well, sure, right now it is, but that doesn't mean it can't change. It's always been changing. The reason why we have weekends, the reason why we have Labor Day, the reason why uh, we don't have segregation anymore, the reason why we have Social Security for people who want to retire, the reason why children go to school, which I know schools have their issues, I know Not every school is treated equally. Trust me, I know. I've bounced around so many fucking schools in my lifetime. You don't have to tell me. I've been through 15 different schools in five states within the first 18 years of my life. I know the education system in America is not that good and not that consistent. However, I also know history. And I know in the early 1900s, school was... A very 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 small fraction of what kids went and did they didn't get to go and learn in a safe environment learn foundational skills learn how to socialize and communicate with other children learn how to overcome adversity and learn basic general common core knowledge things right the common core thing can be disputed right do they have to learn algebra at this age or can they learn it later but literacy reading history Art, the importance of contextualization of information, the importance of understanding the value of learning and of information, and the ability to safely learn, to safely fail, to overcome adversity, and to play and socialize and interact with other children, and to have discussions in a civil and safe place is so fucking valuable to the development of children that the people who want to axe fucking education are ludicrous. That is the most outlandish level of dumb fuckery I think I've ever heard of. It's not perfect, but when something isn't perfect, what do you do? You fix it. You don't fucking axe the entire thing and get rid of what works for so many people. That's not fair. That's something a AAA video game developer would do. So, if you're one of those people that think all of education in America should be terminated, get the fuck off this podcast. I do not want to have you listen to me, because you're not going to like what I say, because I say things that support education and general well-being for children, because I think children should be allowed to learn, to play, to fail, to overcome adversity in a safe environment, and not be thrown into labor school was made to offset child labor it's why we have a grading a letter grading system in schools people don't realize this we have a a b c d because that was how they graded the quality of work in labor so they decided well fuck it some of these systems some of these mechanics in fact in child labor they can like in, in in not like giving birth to kids i should clarify in Uh, the times when children were put to labor, you know, used as a workforce during the, the fight to, to say, well, shouldn't we allow kids to be safe and learn instead of just go straight to work? Shouldn't they learn the skills because the kids were dying, they were getting sick and they weren't actually doing that good of a job because they're fucking kids. Uh, the kids are stupid. We all know this objectively because they haven't developed yet. It's not their fault. They're just objectively, they're pretty fucking stupid right as they get older they get a little smarter some of them don't but anyway um so that's an important and valuable thing i don't really know where i was going with all this i apologize i'm going on another tangent but my point is education's a valuable thing um, understanding history and context to things is extremely important and i feel like a lot of people negate that so what the fuck does that have to do with Call of Duty? I honestly I don't know. I had it connect to Call of Duty in some way or another, and then it just completely left me. But here's my thing. Call of Duty is one of those that anyway, that's sorry, sorry for all that. That's a whole separate thought. I was I seriously, for like two and a half minutes of talking about that, I really did have a thread to connect back to to link it back to COD. It was a way, it was an allegory to highlight my point. And then I got too lost in the weeds there. Started info dumping. But now you've learned something. Um, yeah, it's ludicrous. I, I, I'm i just so dumbfounded that people want to stop education in America. That's That's ridiculous. In fact, the people who want to do that are I, I find to be the dumbest people that really didn't benefit from education. So I'm just like, hey. You know, maybe go back to school, dummy. Don't 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 kill it for everyone else who wants an opportunity in life. The core fundamentals, the basics. It's not perfect. It can be fixed. It's not perfect though. But nothing ever is. But when we Oh, that's right. Okay, it, it came back to me. See, I just need to talk about it a little longer. Capitalism. ha. Huh. Okay. I'm so sorry. COD is one of the largest franchises ever. It has such a global domination it affects so many lives that when I talk about COD, it's really easy to connect it to general critical issues. This isn't a political issue. This is just... I find this to be a more morally ethical... Moral ethical issues when I talk about these things. I don't care what political party you affiliate with if your political party is trying to axe education fuck off it's it's not a political statement it's just being a dick to everyone else and taking out a service that helps so many people also people don't realize that education especially going to school is very good for the developmental process of social interaction it's really really beneficial to people it's just a healthier thing to do also furthermore It helps keep kids safe who may be in a home that is not safe to them because if they're legally required to go to school at a young age for six to eight hours a day, guess what? They don't have to be subjected to the abuse, emotional, mental, or physical abuse of their parents if they are unfortunately in a scenario where their parents are abusive. So there's a lot of benefits and I think a lot of Americans are thinking too narrowly and basing it just off of their experiences and not really considering the fact that there's almost 400 million of us in this fucking country and that everybody goes through different things depending on their state, depending on their race, ethnicity, what they believe, what they do, whom they love and what they go through in life. And that's why it's such a balancing act. We are one of the most diverse populations within a country which makes it so fucking difficult to accommodate and compensate for everyone and when one thing changes one group is a piss and the other is happy so what's the balancing act i don't really know i don't think anyone does but i think it's great that we have a state and a federal system that allows these pushes and pulls ebbs and flows and flexibility because if it didn't we'd snap like a fucking brittle girl who's trying to do fucking ballet I almost said anorexic but I don't want to offend the anorexic. I kind of do. Anyway, here's the thing. Call of Duty is a global capitalist machine. It generates so much money year in year. Up. So people think that their voice isn't important. In a society where we're bogged down, overworked, and underpaid. And I understand that. I do. Trust me, I do. But your voice is heard. Look at what happened in film. In my industry. The writers and the screen actors eventually joined in. And struck the entire industry. Held a strike. The longest strike in film, American film history. Think about that, folks. In the 200-plus years, roughly, okay, well, more so, actually, 100 years, but 200 years, cameras has been around. Anyway, doesn't matter. For the 100-plus years that film in America has been around, this year, this year, literally four to five months ago, we were in the middle of the largest and longest film industry, film and television industry strike ever, and for those of you who may not understand why, it's because, specifically, Writers, the WGA, writers, guilds, writers Guild of America, and then the S, then SAG, Screen Actors Guild. So the guilds are like unions. We also have unions, like IATSE and stuff, but we also have DGA, Directors Guild of America, P, Producers Guild of America. I don't know if it's considered a guild or... Yeah, it's PGA, funny enough. Anyway, so... The point is, when, when you go in the film industry, you usually want to join a union or uh, a guild, which is the same thing. Because it offers basic protections and rights. Rights to your work, rights to your well-being, and protections in your pay, in your compensation, and in your livelihood. Right? It guarantees a minimum payout. It guarantees an, um, uh, an amount of flexibility on the creativity of it. amount of ownership over the project. And it's a it's a large body with money that will advocate on your behalf. Yeah, sure you gotta pay some member fees, it's cheap, it's really not that bad once you get into it, depending on which guild you're getting into. And it's not that you can just sign up and get in, it's very, very difficult. You have to be very good at what you do in that field and you really have to wanna be there. For all of them. They have different requirements depending on the the department, but you you know. But they provide a safety net. Because so much of film is project-to-project based. There's not a consistency. You know, it's not like working in retail. Not that that's easy and not that that's safe or that people are respected or treated well. But it is consistent in a lot of ways. Film isn't. One film set can be beautiful, everyone can be treated well and paid better than others. And then another film set can be egregious, no one gets paid, nothing's done on time, and people are getting emotionally, mentally, and or possibly physically abused. So a union kind of helps buffer those things and protects the artists. I can't speak on how unions function for other industries, but I can speak on the benefit of them in the film and television industry and the entertainment industry as a whole, theater as well, and uh, other entertainment mediums, and they are substantial. They are very important to the well-being of the artists. So it's not easy to get a strike authorized, but they did that. It put the entire film industry to a grinding halt. It sucks for the consumer, because you guys are not going to get as good a content for the next two years, and I apologize for that, but too fucking bad. Sorry, if you watch Netflix, if you watch, guess what? The writers who wrote that fucking show and spent their life force into that show, and the producers and the people who were on board... The the showrunners, the head creators, the big wigs, of course, they got paid. They're fine, but everyone else in the writers room. It's not just one person writing these things, folks. It's multiple people over long periods of time, especially for TV shows. A film is not made from one or five people. It's made from hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of people, and all those people should be respected within their craft within their artistry, within their pay, and within their general well-being as a human. So when you don't respect their artistry and their ownership over their artistry, and you don't respect their pay, they will fight back. And so that's what the writers did. Writers aren't getting paid enough. There was no um, structure that benefited them from a streaming royalty standpoint. Screen actors as well. People, famous actors who are on shows or semi-famous actors or writers who were in the writer room who helped contribute to some of your favorite shows were getting paid pennies on the dollar even though that show is being streamed on Netflix a billion times or for a billion hours, if you will. Things like that. So, they struck. The big... Uh, studios and parts of the industry would not bend, and they tried to literally make everyone homeless until they felt desperate enough to go back to work, and they failed. The writers uh, got what they wanted. They got a massive increase in their mechanical royalty payout. They got legal guaranteed protection that AI will not be used to replace writers. A bunch of other workplace environment, benefits, payout and other safeties to their well-being in their work. It's a massive win. It's very good for the industry as a whole going forward. Screen actors is still kind of in limbo, but they'll they'll come to an agreement soon. So this is a tough industry, film and television industry. You are crushed. You are working too much, not getting paid enough, and you're trying to be seen and heard, so sometimes you just take it. So if anyone, if if our industry can strike to success or do something collectively to argue for a better quality of living, whether that be striking, whether that be voting, whether that be changing your wallet, changing how you pay for something, whatever that may be, whatever action is needed to push that through... If we can do it, so can you. That's the point. While America has a lot of problems with it, right? And while money is a very big, you know, conduit to that problem, or catalyst, I should say, there is an upside. When you and me, the consumer, in the realm of video games, when we're talking about that, a lot of people don't think... We have any kind of jurisdiction over how we can be treated as consumers in video games. Video games are still the Wild West in consumer protection policies. They're non-existent. Listen, if someone sells you a heat-up blanket, say, and the heating-up portion does not work, one, you can send them blanket back, get a full refund, or get a new one that works without paying an extra penny. Right? Right? Maybe shipping costs, but, I mean, honestly, who cares? But usually, you shouldn't even have to do that. You think the company agreed to that? No. They're required to, by law, it's part of the Basic Consumer uh, Protections Act, passed federally, I think, in the 90s, right? Now, that's just a general example. You know, to each state and each company and each designated, like, sector of business, It's a little different, but basically there are consumer protections in place to protect you, the consumer, from just basically a safety standpoint so you're not harmed by the products first and foremost. And then also a reliability on if you pay for it, you need to have it functioning. That doesn't mean you have to love it. That doesn't mean it has to do exactly what you're hoping to do. That's, you know... You buy something that you think you'd love and then you end up not liking it. Maybe there's a refund policy in play. But for the most part, like that's different. But we're talking if the product was not functional, that's different. You either get your money back or you get a new product, you know, a, a new version of that product that is functional. It's a basic protection in play. If you're ever curious about a company, especially since America is switching from a goods and, from a goods from less of goods and more of services, even though we're a good, goods and service-based economy, we are definitely more of a service-based economy because we are not manufacturing as much here. Which, by the way, there's this huge misnomer that because we're not producing as many goods, we're not as good of an economy. That's absolutely false. <laughs> I don't know who told you that, but... Uh, if you go and do an, any economic course of merit, you'll quickly learn that services is actually the best for where American society is now. Listen, if you want to work in a factory all day for 12 hours a day and get paid worse than minimum wage and not be able to eat as much uh, and have those grueling conditions to build a uh, uh, an assembly line of products that don't mean anything to you beat my fucking guest, but we're past that phase now we're in control of the services of that. Not that that's much better, but I don't know for a lot of people it is, and you get more money out of it so anyway, services based economies where we're leaning more so in a higher percentage, and it's actually more beneficial to more Americans, and it actually generates a higher g d p because of the internet. And other technological innovations over time, of course, as well. But anyway, I digress. This is a whole I- I'm sorry for this being an entire lesson, but this does have to do with video games, surprisingly. I'm just not getting to the whole video game news part yet, because I'm on a tangent and I'm fucking I'm I'm in the pocket right now. I'm I'm hitting on some good stuff, so yeah. Apologize if this is not what you wanted to hear, but also If you've listened to me before, you kind of know the gist. Anyway, here we go. So, goods and service-based economy, there's no problem with that. So, with that, the dollar is your voice. Uh, Video games are an interesting breed. Sure, they have basic consumer protection policies in place, especially the physical media of it. Like, if... You buy a game physically, first of all. Why are you doing that? It's 2023. Doesn't even matter. It's not like you can boot up the... Like, buying a DVD physically is one thing. I've talked about this before. Buying a book physically is another thing. That's fine. Hell, even a CD album, not as much, but sort of. Buying a video game physically does nothing. Not with any new modern next-gen console. Not a PC, not an Xbox, not a PS5. Doesn't fucking matter. If you buy... physical disc you still have to have the digital license to play it you could have that disc you could have purchased the game and if you put it in and for some reason it does not authenticate the license to use that game you're essentially leasing it tough shit (laughs) so you might as well download it online cut out the necessity for physical. Unless you like collecting the box art and collecting physical, I understand that. I still have my old physical games. I, I do understand that. It is, it's a cool form. It, it's really special to have the box of, uh, box art of one of your favorite games to, to have it tangibly. So I, I'm not discrediting that at all. I definitely understand that. But it's not as universal or as uh, uh, functional as like a DVD. So take that with what you will. Anyway, um... Unless it's like a physical media where like the disc is broken and you send it back, that's one thing. But other than that, there's not as many protection policies in place for quality of the product. Because it's harder to designate what makes it of quality and what makes it subjectively enjoyable when it comes to video games. And you may wonder why film and television doesn't have to go through this process. You'll never load up a TV show or a movie... Where it's like, oh, wait a second, some of the scenes are missing. Okay, I guess I gotta wait for a patch for Netflix to add it. I mean, obviously, if you end the season, you know, okay, and then you gotta wait for more episodes, but that's different. But I- I'm talking about like, if you're watching a movie and literal whole chunks are not in there, in so many different Chain of commands and systems in place when making a film or a television show, you, you have to have all of the footage. You have to have that. It's not only legally guaranteed, it's also financially protected. It is a very rigorous system. It's not fun to have to go through that, but when you're editing a a picture, you have to have that footage and go through stages where shit is missing because it's being developed. Sure, but. By the end result, by the final cut, it has to have everything it was billed for, that it was funded on, or that it was promised or guaranteed, depending on how it's being uh, produced. Has to. It's why you don't see movies that are just m- fucking missing scenes. It will never. It won't happen unless some radical change to the policy of filmmaking happens, which it won't. Not. Not in that way. So why is that okay in video games? Well, one, video games are exponentially more complicated. That's one thing. Also, they're not a linear form. They are variables because they are in, uh, dependent on player reactions. So you do have to compensate for that. The choices the player makes and the functionality of the thing that is built to react to what they input is varied, which means it may have... Glitches, bugs, mistakes, errors. That's okay. There's no problem with a game that has a few bugs, a few glitches, an occasional crash, especially in the first week or two of launches. They're ironing things out and rolling it out for everyone. Especially depending on the budget of the game. If it didn't get a beta window, if it didn't get alpha access, that's fine. Or early alpha. Whatever. That's okay. A little bit here and there. That's part of the, the process. It's so complex and you never know what the variables What's not okay is when a product ships, and it just simply is not fixed. I've talked about this numerous times. It should be a legal and financial obligation from the studios and from the devs and from anyone who makes video games for the game to function. For the critical component, okay, a little bit of visual pop in here, a little bug here, oh, the character clips through the wall, oh, uh character's T-posing, oh, the gun glitches and doesn't reload immediately that one time. Okay, all right. Oh, the game might crash once in a while, depending on the hardware. That's understandable, but the, the state that AAA games release in now, missing content, just downright cut out, like blatantly missing Copy and paste mechanics, store mechanics being so predatory, it's a risk for kids and their poor parents' wallets or debit cards attached to the accounts. Um, you know what I mean? All these things. Just the, the bugs and crashes to the point where when you purchase this product, you are not able to play it. That's a problem. A huge problem. So capitalism, corruption, all that, right, greatly affects our well-being. And so people think that because it's a game, because it's a service, because it's a product, they have no say or influence over it. Because when we do voice an opinion, it's often not heard. But you have to understand something. Voicing it on social media is okay. That's fine. Having the community discussions, bringing it up. You know, I'm talking about it through here. These are all perfectly valid formats of doing so. There's nothing wrong with that. But the most actionable way to voice a concern or to change the momentum of something in America, especially as a service or product of consumer goods, of purchasing, is purchasing power itself. Listen, if you do not buy Call of Duty... And your buddy doesn't buy it. And your brother doesn't buy it. And your sister doesn't buy it. And whomever else doesn't buy the next Call of Duty, guess what? They don't do as well. It's a public company. They have to make ends meet. Otherwise they die. So they have to make money. And Call of Duty is their flagship money printer. But that does not mean that they are immune to the effects of consumer power. A lot of people forget that if you do not go and consume it, and I'm not saying actively boycott it, but if you just choose to sit out on that call of duty because it doesn't interest you for this or that reason or because you don't feel like paying or because you can't afford it, that's perfectly fine. And a lot of people think, oh, well, that won't make a difference. They'll still make it every year. They still make billions of dollars. That's true. But they're not just looking at the total sale. They're also looking at the engagement because these are online games so the devs and the publishers also are caring about the live service model which means if they keep you in their system you will inevitably pay more money and they'll make milk more out of you than the initial purchase so there's a much greater value of somebody who buys the new call of duty not just buys it but goes and plays it for 100 hours and buys two of the battle passes for two seasons or a couple skins or whatever Right, as opposed to someone who buys it, plays it for 20 hours, and then never touches it again. Who do you think they're going to value more? So it's not just purchasing. It's also play time. It's also what you do inside the game. It's also what you buy in the game, of course. And then beyond all of those factors is also the simple statistic of did they make more money or did they... per? Well, the game is more expensive now than it was a few years ago, so it's hard to benchmark, but... Did they not only make more money, but also did they get more purchases, more copies sold, more downloads of the game? Did they get higher concurrent player peaks? Did they get longer percentage retention times? All these statistical factors and analytics at play, did they get more of it than last year and of the last three years? And of course, at the end of the day, did the income, did the profitability break even or net gain profit against the cost of production. These are all things that they consider. So regardless of how heartless and, sh- and you know, corporate something might be, they're not immune to the effect of the consumer. They're just so big it takes way more bullets to bring them down if that's the case, right? They're like a bullet sponge in a game. They just have more health. They can take a hit. But you have to remember something. The power of public companies, the power that you have against uh, public interest companies is public, you know, shared companies like Activision or like Disney or like any of these big companies. There's one common thread that gives you, the consumer, more power than you could ever possibly think if you haven't really considered this. They're not actually acting off the success of the now. They are benchmarking that success for future. So what I mean by that is even if this next COD made a billion dollars, which it probably will, I'm not going to lie to you, but even if it did, that does nothing for next year or the following year's Call of Duty at all. It literally has no effect other than gives them a boost of confidence that they'll just keep doing that. Sure. It actually will affect the next Call of Duties or the next uh, uh, whatever comes out of Activision Blizzard. And now they're owned by Microsoft, which is nuts, right? So whatever comes out of Microsoft um, in the next three years or two to four years is a better, is a more safe assumption. So, why do you think Sledgehammer is making Modern Warfare 3 instead of making another World War II rendition? Because, historically speaking, other than one of the, like, I think Advanced Warfare or Infinity, one of those more hyper-movement ones in the um, mid-2010s, right? Like 2014 to 2016. Other than that one, Sledgehammer did um, the past two Call of Duty games that Sledgehammer did were both World War Two, And they did okay, but they didn't do great. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I don't quite know why World War 2 isn't hitting as it used to. It's just maybe been tried, or maybe Sledgehammer isn't as good at polishing that COD formula that people love from Treyarch and Infinity War. They're just not as seasoned in it. It's not really their fault. That's just how time works, right? Could be a combination of variables the timing the 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 quality all these things vanguard was dog shit vanguard wasn't a good game i only got it because a friend coerced me into it kind of like with this i purchased mw2 on hype i was excited for that and i also did that with mw19 mw19 actually paid off it's what kicked off this podcast channel and it is one of the better call of duties in recent memory and i really do enjoy that game like it just stands out among the herd MW two was okay, but it wasn't that great. It was mediocre. It was I you know. Uh, I don't really rate games, but if I like put it on a ten point scale, I think I've said I'd give it like a six and a half to seven for MW two. MW twenty nineteen for me is a solid eight and a half to nine. That's a that's a big drop off. That's almost a three point drop off from the sequel in the direct franchise line. The direct sub franchise line, I should say. That sucks. 7 so 3 is really on the fucking ropes right now, and I want to talk about that because that's throwing a lot of people off. This is the weirdest COD I've ever seen in terms of how they're doing, what exactly they're doing. Everything about it is odd. It's not bad because I don't know yet. I haven't actually played the full release, so I can't tell you yet, but I can say it's weird to watch it unfold this way. There's a myriad of variables, but I want to just point out real quick to finish off my more overarching uh, historical philosophical point, and then I can get more into the games and the entertaining side. Sorry for boring you for this long, but hopefully, I gave you something uh, informative and gave you some more historical co- contextualization. That was a hard way of saying that contextualization to some of these processes and systems and thoughts. That are connected with the whole from child labor to general consumer rights and goods from striking authority and and from the purchasing power of the consumer. Because it's all very important for you to understand going forward in this world of gaming because the world of gaming is going to start trying to take advantage of you more with offering less. This is that period. Because why would they work harder and make more when they can still make the same money, if not more, by doing less? So you as a consumer has to, you have to be conscientious about that. And I think the best way to be aware of what's to come is to also understand what has happened before. So that's why I gave that little history lesson beforehand to contextualize what I'm getting into. But anyway, as I wrap that part up, Call of Duty is an interesting point. And if you if you look at Vanguard and you look at what Sledgehammer is doing, why would Sledgehammer be doing MW three now? Of course, they did the OG MW three, so maybe that's why. Yeah, partially, it's a safe bet, but it's also they're not doing a World War Two game. The past three Treyarch games have been Black Ops. The past two because of timing has been... from Infinity Ward has been Modern Warfare games. The past two from Sledgehammer have been World War II games. So why are they not doing World War II games? Because the power of your purchasing. This is that example on full display. They lied about the sales of that game, of course, in 2021. But if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we are two, and two years later and that has come around full circle. Sledgehammer has Back in the hot seat for developing this year's big smash hit Call of Duty. Understand that if you're a development studio and you are making the next Call of Duty, that is objectively and financially going to be one of the largest games of the year. It's a huge weight, and even if they've done it before, it's always a challenge, it's always a task. I'm never going to say it's not because I don't know game development, but what I do know is that it's difficult. I'm never going to take away from that, but I will say Sledgehammer made two shitty World War II games, in my opinion. And in a lot of people's opinions, both those games numerically did not do as well against their counterparts that came out a year before and a year after. Because right now, what we should be getting this year, just if we're going off Patterns, is we should be getting Sludgehammer's third World War II game, whatever that may be. And then next year we would be getting Black Ops. And then the following year we would be getting COD MW three. And then that will finish the three game, three dev cycle through and through. That was reinitiated in technically in twenty seventeen, even though they kinda said twenty nineteen with MW. But pattern-wise, between all three studios, that would cycle it out. That would be three COD Black Ops games, three COD World War II games, and three COD Modern Warfare games. So when you look at that pattern, it's so fucking obvious that that was clearly what should have happened, right? I mean, why wouldn't it? Because it didn't do well. Simple as that. Sledgehammer did not keep up. And it's not just like, oh, they were, they're just not, I mean, they don't, it's not a franchise name like Black Ops or Modern Warfare. That's part of it. But it's also like, it was objectively not as good of a game. People didn't stay on this long. It was a blip. And it was drowned out by other games too. Vanguard didn't sell well. For COD standards. For any other game dev, they would lose their shit if they got the sales that Vanguard did. So don't get me wrong, it still made good money. But... It did so marketably bad. It I I okay. I'm going off memory here, and it's been a year since I actually looked at this. But I looked at the annual earnings reports for some of their games, and Cod Vanguard made half of what uh, Cold War made, and Cold War didn't even make that much. Cold War they said made more than Modern Warfare 2019. Folks, Modern Warfare 2019 made the most money though modern warfare 2 came close i think but modern warfare 2019 made is like the third or fourth highest grossing cod game ever and it it is it was the highest grossing game in 2019 and it's technically it stayed highest grossing game till 2021 year in year out not in total sales of that year like even in 2021 well not in 20 it ended but in 2020 it was still the highest grossing game or second. I think Animal Crossing bumped it out. But, um... But, yeah. That's nuts. So, in the past three and a half years, four years since that dropped, folks, almost five, jeez, nothing has come close to touching it except MW2, and it, it well, it's, it's close, but it's really not that close. So, uh, Vanguard and Cold War, Cold War did great, don't get me wrong, Cold War still did really well, but vanguard did so bad financially and critically and didn't retain player engagement so the three critical components that they look into for the future failed in 2021 on vanguard so i guarantee you in that very moment in those first three months of that release activision brought sledgehammer and said you can't do world war ii at least not for a while Simple as that. Okay. Modern Warfare 3 is a paid $70 DLC. I keep hearing that. Is it true? Yes. Uh how true is that? How I mean it's it's pretty it's still speculative, it's not a hundred percent confirmed, but it's very, 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 very safe to assume that is the case because multiple times Activision Blizzard said they were going to make COD a two-year cycle now, not an annual cycle. And they said that uh, three months before MW2 released, so that gave it room to delay the COD that would come out this year for next year. It made a lot of sense, right? Then people dug in the files and looked at it and looked at some of the art and some of the assets and this, and realized that, they didn't even change some of the labeling and names. And one person, one data miner, right? And we've talked about this before on this channel. So for those of you who don't know, when I talk about leaks and, and theories and rumors and data mining, data mining is a weird thing because data mining feels like it's fact. It's not. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's like a leak. It's where they're looking at the code, the files, the naming. So it's pretty authentic because it's almost like inspecting the foundation for which what things were laid upon. So you can see the true form of what it used to be. But it's not always accurate. The data miners could just be fucking lying. And then also, even if they're not lying, devs now also know how to protect themselves, especially big devs like Call of Duty devs, and they will put false information in the code to spoof data mining. So things aren't leaked prematurely. happens all the time. So data mining is not an accurate report of the truth. So don't, don't get that twisted. Take this with a huge grain of salt. This is all speculative, uh, rumors because nothing was ever officially confirmed that COD Modern Warfare 3 is actually would have been an expansion, but it's very safe to assume. And all that matters is that the public feels that it is that way. And at the end of the day, that is what matters. And it does feel that way. In everything they've done with this game, it feels like it was originally intended to be a year two expansion of MW2. Except there are some issues with that. One, the entire gameplay mechanic system is overhauled. Which I know they can do, but I'm just saying that's a lot of work to do for a DLC. They they would not do that for an expansion. I'm telling you right now. They would not drastically overhaul all the movement, motion, mobility. systems they also wouldn't add that many guns there is a metric fuck ton of guns in the beta there is a shit ton of new guns or kind of similar guns but still semi-new um so even if it was originally intended to be here too do not be mistaken this game switched its internal dev cycle to be a full release game way before we realized in fact I would not be surprised if it did that within the first three months of Modern Warfare 2 releasing. So they have had essentially an entire nine months of development to rework this entire baseline of content and general philosophy as a DLC, as a year two expansion. And they had nine months to completely rework it using a lot of the mechanics from last year. So it saved a lot of work time. Folks, all of Call of Duty Cold War was developed in nine months. It was an unfortunate time because of COVID and they were crunched. And I believe that they did suffer from that. And that's not really their fault. It's just the circumstances. So if Cold War could be made in nine months, you sure as fuck could believe that the base foundation of a massive expansion to Modern Warfare 2 and what it already did, a lot of it can be overhauled and redone in nine months or so of dev time and then months of marketing. Right? That's a lot of fucking time. That's the general average time for a child to be baked in the oven, if you will. It's a horrible way of putting it, I know, but that's a fuck ton of time, folks. Nine months is a long time. If if a human can be developed in that time, so can a game. So, I need people to understand that because I feel like a lot of us are under this misnomer that they switched gears in the last three months. No, 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 no. <laughs> that wouldn't, the beta wouldn't have worked <laughs> if they did that. I'm, I'm telling you, I played the beta for a good amount of time. It plays drastically better than Modern Warfare 2. And some people are like, well, because they're just adding content that they cut. Yeah, that's part of it. But it's also, I'm not lying when I say the movement, the stability, the frame rate, the network latency the recoil and the visual clutter and the general animations are smoother stuff that would have taken time to iron out and rework stuff that would not have been done for an expansion i'm telling you right now an expansion if they did a twenty dollar paid expansion it would have been an additional amount of content a fuck ton of content and some bug fixes and maybe some adjustments and tweaks but nothing that drastic Nothing that drastic, no. So, I'm not saying this game is phenomenal. I'm not saying this is the greatest COD ever made. In fact, uh, it's not that great. But it's not horrible. It's not Vanguard. It's not... Listen, like I said in my beta, like I've been telling my friends, I played the beta, I had fun. If you like Call of Duty multiplayer and you want to have a casual shooter to turn off your brain and have fun and rank up and have a game to grind out through the holidays, then you're good. <laughs> that's all you can ask for. And I'm tired of people expecting COD to do anything more or anything less. It's a shame what Modern Warfare 2 did because it actually did less, but in general, that's what this is what Call of Duty does. This is their bread and butter, and you have to understand the value of that. Listen, if I wanted to play a more tactical game that required me to think more or be more careful with my shot placement, I would not be playing Call of Duty. I would never even think to play Call of Duty for that. I would play Rainbow Six Siege or Hell Let Loose or Ready or Not or even Insurgency Sandstorm, but I wouldn't play COD. Right? I love the finals. You can go listen to my podcast about that. That was a very fun, new, dynamic game. Way different from COD. Way different experience. COD exists because it's accessible, it's digestible, and it's pattern-based, if anything. That's of great benefit to a lot of people. A lot of people who work, who who go to school, don't have time to sink their teeth into a complicated story. Or to overcome really difficult enemies in Elden Ring, or whatever. Popping in COD and playing that for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, for 2 hours at night... Is all they need, and if it's done well, it's done well. There's nothing more to it. And the COD community is not a good benchmark for understanding how good COD is doing because they are not stable. <laughs> I'm part of that community. They will bitch and moan about everything under the sun, and then they will just inevitably buy the next game because they're almost programmed to it. because they hate the idea of waiting. I've seen enough hate, I've seen enough rhetoric, I've seen enough YouTubers say, well, this is it, this is my final breaking point. And I see that every year, and yet I'm still watching gameplay of them playing the fucking game. Now, listen, for myself, I know that if I'm pissed off enough about a game franchise, I won't play it. Because I've already done that with many things, including Call of Duty. Folks, from 20. <sighs> 17. 16. I don't even count World War II. I bought World War II on sale because I just wanted to play the campaign. It was the holidays, and I was really in my World War II bag, and I just wanted to see if the Omaha beaching was cool. So it was almost experimental. I didn't even, I played a little bit of the multiplayer, but I didn't, like, buy, like, that COD to play COD. I just wanted to, there was no other game that was really doing World War II at that time. I don't really count that, but I guess I still bought a Cod. But, like, there is a four-year span where I didn't buy Call of Duty. I took a long hiatus from the franchise. It burned me out. I got tired of how shitty I kept feeling as a consumer, how disrespected I felt, how my wallet was being disrespected. I just got tired of it. I'm like, this isn't fun anymore. This isn't as fun as it used to be. There's other games. There's Titanfall. There's Rainbow Six. There's more games that I want to try now. I don't want to be that guy that just plays COD every year. So I took a break. I took a four-year hiatus, and it was the best thing I ever did in my gaming career, my gaming hobby lifestyle, because it allowed me to try games I would have never been able to do before. And that was a very crucial point, because at that age and at that time, I was good enough at games and comfortable enough to feel I can experiment and branch out, but I was still impressionable enough for those games to have a lasting impact on me. So, in that time frame, I fell in love with the From Software games. I fell in love with the tactical shooters like Rainbow. Right? Hell, I even got into Bloom's Tower Defense. Great game. I talked about that before. It diversified my palette. I still like my first person shooters. I still like my action games. And yeah, I like my CODs. But, you know. And any given day, folks, I could be playing from... I could play Rocket League, I could play Darkest Dungeon, then I can jump over and play some Warhammer 40k Dark Tide, then I can jump over and play some Bloom's Tower Defense with my lady, and then I can play uh, Clash Royale on my phone, even though I haven't touched that game in months. Diverse palette. You know? And, of course, you know, from Elden Ring to Sekiro to payday 3 two. i mean you've seen my podcast channel you just scroll through look at all those first initial thoughts and impressions look at all the damn games remnant 2 diablo 4 dark tide the list goes on and on and i'm trying games all the time sometimes i don't play it enough to feel adequate in like having a podcast about it but i try shit all the time party animals fun game didn't give it enough time, um, but it's definitely going to stay in rotation because it's a game that can only go up, you know, all kinds of games for all kinds of times and players. And of course, there's some that I don't like or some that just don't interest me and I'm not going to spend my time or money in, sure, but I didn't want to stay stuck to one type of game, one type of franchise every year, I uh, and because that franchise wasn't doing anything for me. But Modern Warfare 2019 really got me excited, and it got a lot of people excited, and they did it. It was a good game. It wasn't perfect, but it was really damn good. And so it bought me back in, and it has kept me since. And now we're hitting a critical point. Because if it weren't for friends, honest to God, if I didn't have friends who played this game as much and didn't have it as accessible. I mean, part of it is, my friends play it, it's all they'll play for the most part throughout winter, they don't mind it, and it's also cross-play, cross-progression, and it can allow all four of my buddies to play together. If not more of us. Up to six of us, right? So, because of that, I'm not really ever going to hesitate to purchase COD as long as they get it. Even if I don't want to play that COD. Because I'll be honest with you folks. Even though I actually thoroughly enjoyed the beta. I know how this will play out. It will not be as fun in the first two weeks. It will be a disappointment. Things won't work. Things will need to be patched. All these things. And um, and me and my friend group. I know for a fact if we all get it. We're going to burn ourselves out on COD within the first month. I'm counting on it. But like I've said before, like I said in my beta, if it's 40 to 50 hours of game time and 20 to 30 to 40 of those 50 say hours were fun or enjoyable enough, what, what was it worth it? Was it worth the 70? What's the price point where you deem the game is worthy from the time and energy and the fun you've had from it? When do you say it was worth the investment? It was worth the subscription cost, it was worth the purchase, it was worth all these things. Also, COD will very soon be coming a Game Pass, so this might be the final, if not near to, the final COD I'll ever have to purchase again. So it's really not that big of a deal for me. I mean, we'll see. We'll see how new CODs are introduced. It might be a couple more years until new CODs come straight to Game Pass Day 1. So if that's the case, alright, that's fine, but who knows. But that is why this game is so funky, not only because they had to switch course, I think, Sledgehammer had to just pick up the mantle, but this game is the first Call of Duty game to ever have all three main modes developed by all three primary studios. Infinity Ward did the campaign. The campaign is getting panned right now. You do need to understand something, though. This is important to understand. The campaign is going to be the least strong part of this entire package this year round. And anyone who thought different is ludicrous. Folks, assuming that this was an expansion, you guys do realize there was was not going to be a campaign for this. This is just going to be an expansion on the multiplayer front. Some are like, well, it might have a campaign. Well, maybe it would... But listen, if it was an expansion through and through, and everything that this Modern Warfare 3 is, is just Modern Warfare 2's year 2, you've got to understand that if that was the campaign and that was just additional content, no one would bat an eye. Oh, it's too short. Oh, it's changing up. Because it would be part of, it would be an attachment to the already existing Modern Warfare 2 new campaign, which I didn't actually like that much. Some people loved it. And I, I'm, you know, hey, more power to you. The story was just not captivating to me. There was moments, great moments, and I actually really did love the diversity in missions and the set pieces. I really liked the diversity and how it allowed us to play the game. So I do appreciate the philosophy behind it, but the the general atmosphere, set set piece, antagonist, it just felt so fucking disconnected. It didn't feel like a true sequel to MW19 because it didn't really follow anything MW19 did. Oh, Task Force One-For-One, hunting them down, trying to find the big baddie. Like, okay, but like, what's that got to do with anything we did in MW-19? Like, truly, how is this connected in any way? I mean, MW-3 is kind of answering that now, but it's retroactively answering that, which isn't... Not that's not good. That's not what's needed. Anyway, so the campaign is going to be the weakest point in this new edition, because this new edition I swear to God, Infinity War was not planning on making an entirely new playable campaign after they just released their game last year. You guys really think they were planning that? No. Because once they release a COD and they do post-content launch support, which they don't even have to do too much of because they build it in advance, they're done. They start developing the next game for two to three years. So... The reason why this one is half the length of most COD campaigns and stupendously simple for so many people and really doesn't do much is because it was not supposed to be this way. And it's a shame because they're using the MW3 name. This is a mad dash scramble for one reason and one reason only. And I need people to really understand this clearly because I I keep telling my friends and peers this is why they're doing this. It's because Microsoft purchased Activision. That's the only reason why this is all happening. I, I I, swear to you on everything, if they were not in the middle of that acquisition during the development of this, they would never have batted an eye towards putting out MW3 this year. They would have put out whatever Sledgehammer was originally working on. Then again, the whole Vanguard thing, that might have made them shift gears, but it would not have been MW3, it would have been something else. What it would have been is they would have skipped this year and they would have made it the year two expansion to MW2. And then we would have gotten Black Ops next year. And then we would have gotten MW3 the following year. So what does Microsoft acquiring Activision have to do with this? Because they acquired them. They were they were being stopped and blocked and slowed down. So they didn't actually acquire it until the game was locked and ready to... to to be released it was done it was a game was essentially finished i mean it had opened the open beta weekend when cod launched was three days after the acquisition cleared or two days after or if not or one day i don't even know it was that weekend though which is wild so it's like so you might be wondering what's what's the big deal well if if you're a company and you have public shareholders and interest in and you know the entire design philosophy is about to change, and you're about to be fired. What are you going to do if you've got a new Call of Duty, if it's almost that time of year, if you're a couple months away? You're going to make one more Hail Mary full-release AAA game on the most bankable franchise in the world. Because why the fuck not? If you're on your way out, why would you not do one more Hail Mary throw to print money? regardless of the consumers. You don't think Bobby Kodak was like, well, fuck it, let's just do one more because everything's going to change once Microsoft gets a hold of us. So we might as well do one more full $70 release. Why would we do a $20, $30 expansion as our last entry as a non-acquired company? Because remember, the acquisition was supposed to go through in August. Well, actually, originally it was supposed to go through in June. Call of Duty next and all that stuff is actually usually in mid to late July is when they start announcing and talking about what the next COD is. Leaks and shit like that. And then August is when they confirm lock it in. Usually. But it's like the first week of August. We're talking like August 5th or 6th. It's actually usually the last week of July. This time around, it was the last week of August. August. Doesn't that feel a little odd that they delayed their entire announcement of the next COD by a month? That's not a lot of time, folks. They they know they're releasing the game within the year, between October and November. So why would they not tell people about the game and start putting it on sale for an entire month compared to the last few years? Because that was the month that they were supposed to be acquired. The whole acquisition process started years ago, so even if they had intentions originally to make this an expansion, I think they were planning that because I think they thought they were going to be acquired beforehand. It, it wasn't the acquisition itself. It was the delay in the acquisition that made them switch gears. And then that would be, mean that they didn't develop this in nine months, that they developed it in a shorter time frame. Because the delay only started around June ish. But they had insider information. They knew it was coming before the public did. So we only knew about the delays later. They probably knew about it a month or two in advance, which would actually make sense. That would line up with the time frame where they switched gears and decided to start making the next Call of Duty the Call of Duty expansion M W three in about March. Which between February and April. Which kind of lines up with the whole three to four months after the launch of COD. Right? Kind of lines up nicely, doesn't it? So it wouldn't be surprising if by like mid February, they understood that this acquisition is going to be slowed down by every force possible, because that's when those hearings and things started, and people started voicing their concerns about this acquisition. And so they said, okay, well, let's shift gears and let's make this a full-release COD because we might not actually be acquired by June. Because if they were acquired by June, they wouldn't have gone to the trouble to make such a big Call of Duty because they wouldn't have net all those profits. They would have been axed by then. So why would they go to all that trouble? They would spin down and reduce the workload to manage an acquisition to handle the transitional period. But once they knew that, that that the acquisition could be delayed, and then by Ju- July, which around the time they usually announce their cod, it was the FTC hearings that they were involved with, and then they were massively pushed. Then, the whole acquisition closing for Microsoft acquiring Activision Blizzard King came to a point where it was like, well, it's either going to happen in late October or sometime later. So I'm telling you folks, between February and March, they started realizing that this acquisition won't close before they could put out one more Call of Duty. And once they realized that time frame, they capitalized on the foundation of the expansion. Which makes sense on why it's actually pretty polished considering it's basing everything off an expansion from what I played in the beta and what I've played in the early access campaign. I haven't finished it yet because I just haven't had the time, been working too much, right? It kind of lines up. So, why wouldn't they push one more full release $70 Call of Duty out to everybody before their acquisition? And then in lies, herein lies the issue that they just ran into. They've been acquired and COD isn't out yet. <laughs> it's pretty fucking funny. They still get the payout though, and that's all that matters. Folks, even though they've been acquired now, Bobby Kodak, the main guy who's been fucking over everything, and the main heads and the main people behind all the money, the, the the shitty financial decisions, they're being axed for the most of them. Not all of them, but most of them, especially the rapey ones. They're getting their ass kicked to the curb January 1st. So contractually, they'll still reap the benefits of this COD. They still get one more big cash out from COD. This is... They're Curtain Call. It's probably sentimental, too. They are behind Call of Duty. They are the ones since day one. So I understand that. But, like, that's why this possible expansion is a full-blown game. There's no other reason. Pattern, chronology-wise, it makes no sense. So the reason why the campaign is being absolutely shitted on by everybody in existence is because poor infinity war was probably not prepped to make a fucking campaign for this game but on the other hand sledgehammer has been ready to make their multiplayer stab. let's talk a little bit about that and let's talk about some other gaming news sledgehammer has been waiting in the shadows for a moment to refine some of the good things they've done listen modern warfare 3 is a solid game it's my first um, Or second, it was my second COD game. and But it was my first COD game that I bought on, like, Premiere release date, if that makes sense, which is a different experience. Because I got Black Ops, but I got Black Ops, like, three or four months after it came out. I wasn't allowed to play rated M games when Black Ops came out originally. I think I might be getting my time frames mixed here. I was, no, I'm sorry, I was allowed to play M-Games, but it was only Halo. Halo Reach was the only M-Game I had at the time, and it was okay because it was like sci-fi shooting aliens, sort of. And so, but the real military industrial complex simulator, my dad was like, no, you're not, no, you're too impressionable. So, I had to wait a while. So, Black Ops was my first entry, but at that point when I got Black Ops, Campaign was phenomenal, Zombies was a blast, I loved that game to death, but... I did not play Black Ops on the release when everyone was playing it. By the time I was playing Black Ops, Modern Warfare 3 was a month away from release, I think. Because I believe Modern Warfare 3 was the year after. I got Black Ops the summer of 2011, if I'm not mistaken. And then by November 2011 was uh, Black Ops. uh, I'm sorry, it was Modern Warfare 3. Right? Or was that Black Ops 2? I think Black Ops 2 was like November 2012, was the following year. I could be getting my timetables mixed up, but anyway. My point is, MW3 was all the craze. Huge release. Actually, funny enough, MW3, Modern Warfare 3, Sledgehammers developed. The only actually good Sledgehammer game, in my opinion, full-blown. is actually the highest-selling COD game ever. When you adjust for inflation. Surprisingly. Because it was the end cap to the largest video game trilogy of the time. It was massive. The amount of marketing, hype, and buzz behind that game was substantial. And then I think Black Ops 2 actually beat it in opening weekend sales. black I remember when I heard that Black Ops 2 actually rivaled the film industry. It's the first time a game in an opening weekend beat out any movie And there were some big movies at the time. It was November. It's fall season. It's a huge time for movies. I forget exactly what movies came out the same weekend as Black Ops 2, but Black Ops 2 outsold movies. Huge, huge shock to everybody. I was like, whoa, shit is changing. Anyway, crazy how that works, huh? Folks, video games uh, nowadays, like big ones, big title names, on opening weekend, on opening weeks, outpace movies 10 to 1 nothing against films films are priced way the fuck differently first of all movies are seven times less expensive because movies are getting a percentage of the ticket sale not concessions or for the theater so if you go in and just watch a movie you bring your own concessions which if you don't do that what are you doing it's 2023 bring your own fucking concessions in. Obviously popcorn's different, but bring a water bottle, sneak a water in there. If you're going to do a fountain drink, you should probably do it there. Good luck sneaking that in. But your candies and maybe some treats, some chips, whatever, sneak those motherfuckers in. No one cares. Who cares? Um, the average movie price ticket in America, standard movie ticket fare, is about $10. 10 to $11. the average new video game purchase price is 70 fucking dollars so it's seven times more expensive so that's also part of it you do have to take that into consideration right so if you divide the opening weekend of a video game by 7 then you'll have a more accurate fair rating against the so you know the the average median entry price for opening purchases Right? If it's $70 to buy a game for the opening weekend and it's $10 on average to buy just a pure ticket for a movie, you have to equate it for that. That's not fair. So for a movie to make as much as one video game sale, and you know, percentages are split and it's not perfectly accurate, but in general, for a movie to make one video game sale, you need to bring seven mother, six other motherfuckers with you to go watch that movie, which doesn't really happen often. And most people get hung up, All the snacks, everything, just going out with a couple people costs cost $50 for one movie. First of all, movie events are very special, so go to movies that you are interested in and that that you think you'll have a good time, and go and be smart about it. If you go to the movies a lot, buy one of their subscription things that greatly reduces the cost of everything, if you go consistently. Wait on days where the tickets are cheaper. Go to matinees. Do things like that. And then lastly, don't buy their concessions. That is like 60% of the cost of everything. If you go in and you just buy a ticket for you and your loved one, or if you have kids, yeah, that might be a 30 or $40 event. But it's an experience. You get to go out, you get to go in a movie theater, you get to go in a movie theater with a bunch of people, ideally, if you're going on a big movie premiere opening night. The people who saw Endgame opening night in a theater with people, in a packed theater, it's a dramatically better and different experience than watching it at home. It just is. There's nothing like it. You're also paying for quality. As filmmakers, we work our ass off to make this as cool and as fun of an experience and as good of a movie as possible. We're designing it, ideally, for the best viewing location possible, but also optimizing and considering it for the worst viewing place. If you watch a movie like Endgame on your phone, you're greatly handicapping your experience. It would be like playing the next best video game On an old ass monitor. That has a refresh rate of 24 hertz per second. Not even 30. That has 720p HD. Like, does it work? Sure. But you're not moving as fast. You're not seeing everything you should be seeing. And you're not getting the quality and the performance that you should. You understand what I'm saying? So... If you go to the movie theater, you're getting the most optimal experience from the film quality to the production, from the sound design, from the immersion. That's the other thing people don't consider when they go to the movies. You do realize if you watch a movie at home, and it's fine if you've already seen the movie. And honestly, especially during COVID, and for those who are disabled, and for those, it's perfectly fine to watch a movie at home. I'm I'm happy that people have both options, but I don't want them to be dissuaded. If if you're the type of person. That loves movies, but you're like, oh, I don't want to go out and watch a movie. I'd rather, but then you go out and buy eighty dollars worth of food for one night, like restaurant, or go and drink at a bar, and that's a forty to fifty dollar night. The fuck is the problem with going every once in a while to a movie for two hours to be immersed? Because when you also when you go to a movie theater, you can't pause it. You can't be distracted as easily. You're on a bigger screen with a better quality, better sound, more immersive experience. Hopefully you're not one of those dickheads who's scrolling through their phone like they'd rather be somewhere else. And sure, you gotta get up and pee, you might miss the scene. So you gotta make it quick. But when you watch a movie at home and you have the ability to pause and fast forward, trust me, you will miss so much of it. Life is busy. Life gets in the way. It's hard to do that. I understand. I watch movies at home too. Don't get me wrong, but it's just like, it's a different experience. And when you're doing it with people who also are purchasing and wanting to see that movie, there is a different energy when you're in the audience. Even if it's a small movie. There's something about the people there. Now, this is my industry. This is one of my greatest loves. So it's different for me. I'm a filmmaker. So watching other people be moved by a film is also just as entertaining for me as the film itself. So it is different for me, and I am biased. But I'm telling you, from experience and from just general understanding how this works, and I'm not saying every movie, every weekend, you got to go do that. No, but for movies that interest you, for the one or two movies a year that you want to do, how the fuck is thirty to forty dollars and in total less than a hundred dollars a year a poor investment if you're having a worth worthwhile experience. I just don't get it. Think about that um and it's also like trying new things. There are movies you may not think you like, and if you go and you see it in the theater, it actually you might end up liking it more. When we have the ability to turn, and I've experienced this firsthand, when you're scrolling through Netflix and you're trying to find a movie and it's not a specific movie you're itching to watch, you're just w- wanting to kill time and watch a movie, that's fine. But the likelihood of you just closing out and switching to a show or to a movie or going playing video games because it didn't grab you in the first 30 seconds is so much more likely and you may not realize that you're actually watching a good movie. And if you gave it more of a chance, you would have enjoyed it. So that's the other aspect. FOMO. Anyway. Aside from the movie tangent, these Call of Duties make a lot of money. And Sledgehammer made one of the highest profiting ones. So it's interesting for them to come full circle almost ten years later to be making the new Modern Warfare 3. It's kind of interesting. And it is a fun game. I enjoyed it thoroughly. It's not the best game ever made. It's not the best Call of Duty ever made. But I will say this. It's much better than last year's. And once again, not just because they added some stuff that they cut away. They added some new stuff. And they're doing some things that you've never seen from a Call of Duty. For example, one, first off, first and foremost, they're releasing a new Modern Warfare entry back-to-back. That's never happened. Modern Warfare 2 was 2009. Modern Warfare 3 was 2011. It's never happened before. There's been CODs back-to-back, but never of the same sub-franchise. Okay. But beyond that, also, all of your progress from Modern Warfare 2 is transferring over. I don't know if that's them experimenting with an entirely new live service model, which I believe they're going to implement. Or if it's them using the blueprints of what would have been an expansion. And that's also lending to a lot of people's theories that this was originally an expansion, and I understand that, but it also has occurred to me, it's probably just them testing the waters to see if they can do live service, through and through. Which I've talked about before. It's kind of an interesting concept. So all the guns, all the progress, all the cosmetics, everything you did in... COD Modern Warfare 2, for the most part, including your XP tokens and everything, should transfer over. Now, if you haven't noticed, if you're on PC, you have to launch the Call of Duty hub. And if you've noticed, like, every past three CODs are all in one place. You can switch between them in the same general menu. They're trying to connect all their services together and keep you cycled in it. Interesting concept. And also, like I said before, Infinity War did the campaign. God bless them for trying. I actually don't mind it that much, but I've only done like an hour of it. But I don't mind it. It's not that bad. I'm actually kind of intrigued by the story. At least the opening. It's got a hell of a fucking opening for a story. Which I appreciate, because last year's story to me is just forgettable. I didn't like it that much. It wasn't horrible, it just wasn't that gripping for me. But maybe I was not clicking in. Mostly the pacing was off, and the location. I just didn't... I mean, I think Central America in general is a beautiful place, and I think covering that area is fine, but it's just such a weird contrast to go from Russia to that. It just, chronology-wise, that logically doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, a cartel thing is such a different thing that's not a counter-terrorism thing. Drug cartels and hunting them down has nothing to do with counterterrorism in the real world. Not often. I mean, it's not to say that they don't have terrorists there and that counterterrorist enforcement doesn't go there, but it's just to say that's a very weird approach to that. It would be like if the Navy SEALs, instead of going to hit Osama bin Laden, they decided, well, we're going to take a quick detour before we go there, we're going to go get Pablo Escobar. It's like, okay, great. I mean, no problem there, but like, what? And I get it, like, oh, man, mastermind, all that. But it's just like, okay. <laughs> just seems really off to me. So campaign, neither here nor there. I'll see once I get through this one. I should at least finish this. so uh, I have the whole trilogy of the story in intact. In so I'm not going to speak on the campaign fully until I do my initial thoughts on the game in general. I'm still playing the campaign. Bear with me. But anyway... I know it's a short campaign, too, and that's what's pissing people off. It's like, what do you expect? They didn't expect to make one. I guarantee you that. So, there's that. Also, it's the first time every independent studio, like I've said, is making one main functional mode within this one game. So we've got Infinity Ward on the campaign, we've got Sledgehammer on the multiplayer, and we have Treyarch on the zombies. Also, this is the first COD Modern Warfare to have a zombie's. I think people are not really acknowledging that. I know, we kind of talked about, people have talked about it in general, but that's kind of a big fucking deal. Also, I'm going to talk about Rockstar and GTA later. So, if you're still, like, thinking this isn't about news and this is just a COD episode, it's because COD is about to come out, so it's the most prevalent thing on my mind. And I didn't know how long I was actually going to be able to talk about it, and then I realized I was able to talk about it for quite a long time, so. My apologies, but I do have some other things I want to talk about with video games in general that I think is important. But anyway, and I'll get to those later. I want to talk about finals, I want to talk about X Define, I want to talk about GTA 6, and I want to talk about uh, future video games. So, this is a long episode. I'd say we're only about halfway. The other stuff really won't take as long. GTA might. Anyway, I'm almost done with my COD part, so here we go cod zombies has never been done in modern warfare we've had like alien extinct like i think there's been similar modes but never in a traditional modern warfare title it's usually spec ops and they've dropped that last year's dmz this year it's kind of both it's outbreak from cod cold war combined with dmz it is an open world they are trying something new So, for my folks who love COD Zombies and are like, oh, Treyarch's behind the next COD Zombies, it's going to be good. I'm going to tell you right now, it's not going to be good. Uh, Don't expect it to be good. Can it be fun? Can it be passable? Can it be enjoyable? Absolutely. Is it going to be good? Is it going to be like Black Ops 3 or even COD Zombies Cold War, round-based? No. Is it going to be as bad as Vanguard? I doubt it. It's going to be a half step between Outbreak and DMZ because that's what it is. It's them taking another stab at Outbreak. It's the whole overworld shared experience. First of all, you can have squads of four people within your direct squad. And then it is like, I think it's like 12 or 16 people running around on this massive open world, completing small objectives and clearing out. And the further they get in these circles and these waves, the more intense the zombies get for them. And the longer they last, then they, there's that extraction shooter element. Because if they extract early, they get to keep the gear they found. So similar to DMZ, very similar to DMZ. Except when you find, and when you find other players, they're not your enemies. You can team up with them. And there's these giant overworld bosses, zombie bosses that that like require more than just four people to take on. So it's not really round-based, and I think that's the problem. I think the bread and butter, the philosophy, the balance, and the pacing is so integral in round-based. Then again, this isn't Treyarch's game. If this was happening in the next Black Ops game, I'd be losing my fucking shit over this if this was the only zombies option. I do not mind. I did not mind having Outbreak, because we still had round-based mode if we didn't like Outbreak. I actually enjoyed that break a little bit. It wasn't the f- most fun, but it was fun to try. I'm all for people being able to experiment and try new things, but giving us the option to have the old thing that they've developed because then if we don't like it and they're really going out of their way to try something new, they're just doing a disservice because you could still be creative, you could still have a lot, I mean, a lot of creative freedom flexibility and additions done can be done in just the traditional round-based zombies. You can have different special enemy types, you can have different maps, you can have different functionality, you can have different perks, guns, attributes, features, easter eggs, story threads. There's so much they can do. The only basic thing is that the rounds progress, and as the rounds progress, the enemies get harder, and some of the staple things, a wonder weapon, a mystery box, your general insta-kills and max ammo pickups, things of that nature, keep that consistent, and you're fucking fine. When they didn't do that in Vanguard, people hated it. But we've learned, and I've learned, just because Treyarch is doing the zombies doesn't mean it's going to be the zombies that we expect. We have to wait for the next Black Ops, their full COD game, where they are also doing the zombies. That's when it matters the most. Until then, treat this like a spinoff. This isn't the main this isn't the next season for your favorite video or favorite TV show. This is the spin-off series. So treat this uh Modern Warfare Zombies as a spin-off. A little treat to hold you over and might tie into the next thing. That's what it is. It's quite literally a spin-off. It's different. It's not the same. It's not what you're actually billing and hoping for. And it's okay cuz it'll hold you over and it might have some things you like. Hell, the things you might like might just carry over to the main course. But who knows? And who gives a shit? So don't put too much faith or stock in this and treat it like a spin-off. If you enjoy it, great. More power to you. But for my, my fans of the traditional round base, don't get hung up on this. Please don't. I know not enough people listen to me. But for those of you who do, spread the word. Don't get hung up on this. It's not worth the fight. Just enjoy it. And be happy that Treyarch is actually allowed to experiment with zombies in a format that isn't as much of a high-risk profile to them. Because if they did that in their main Black Ops franchise, they'd be crucified if it didn't work. So better to do it in a game where people don't even expect zombies. And so if it doesn't work, oh well. It's not like anyone's going to care too much. Than to do it and have it be the only thing in the next Black Ops entry. You understand what I'm saying? The reason why outbreak was okay is because it was in addition to the round base. So it wasn't taking away from anything and it wasn't the only thing we were forced to play. And I'll be honest folks, I'm excited to try it because I th- there's literally almost no info on it and we are the game drops tomorrow night for me. <laughs> so we're less than a day away and we don't even know what the fuck a full match looks like. I'm not a fan of the fact that it's only an hour long, but I kind of get it. I mean, you could be there for way too long. But apparently if you stay there for the full hour, you're going to get fucked. I mean, they've said that this is the hardest COD Zombies they've ever made if you allow it to be. Interesting thought. I doubt that. I'm pretty convinced OG COD Black Ops um, Zombies and or even Black Ops 3 Zombies is probably the most difficult Zombies you'll ever play. And for good reason. It's fun. It's not like grueling or unfun. It's just hard as fuck. Cold War is way easier, but there's more to do. So it kind of makes sense. Because you're actually you want to stay alive longer in Cold War because some of the cool stuff that you get to try that's new, you're gonna want to do for longer. So anyway. Let's talk about GTA 6. Alrighty, folks. Well, I got a little distracted and life happened, but here we go. To finish this podcast, I want to talk about some more news. Uh, GTA 6 is finally getting a debut trailer. It's been confirmed by Rockstar that they will be celebrating by next month the 20th anniversary of Rockstar, and therefore also announcing around that time their next GTA title they don't actually say GTA 6 they just say their next GTA title that could mean a remaster that could mean some bullshit mobile game but I think we all know what that means on the 20th anniversary coming this close after already seeing their earnings report from uh, take-two interactive the parent company of Rockstar They had an earnings calling uh, earnings call report earlier this year I'd say around spring or summer that uh, was basically projecting an $8 billion net revenue growth in the entire company coming out of Rockstar. And I think on average, annually... Rockstar makes a billion or near a billion dollars by uh, between all their titles and all the microtransactions. I could be wrong on that. Don't quote me on that part. But they said that they're estimating an 8 billion dollar. That's a fuck ton of money. That's a huge spike. Um, 8 billion dollars within a year. Not any other video game could pull that off in a single year. Not even a Call of Duty. A Call of Duty could strike across a billion. Hell, it can get towards two. But $8 billion in a year. Now, that's just a projection. Right? That That's not... Um, And that's on top of the billion or so they already make. So it could in reality mean that if GTA 6 does come out, say, whenever it does, that it makes $5 with by the end of the fiscal year, not by the end of the calendar year. So it's a little different. So anyway. Can't believe it. It's almost too weird. It almost feels like it shouldn't come out. It feels like it's too soon, even though it's not. It's a weird phenomenon. When it's like, we've been waiting for 10 years, but it feels like if they released GTA next year, GTA 6, that feels like we haven't had... That's because, in basic principle... We haven't seen anything of GTA 6. We haven't seen an official CGI trailer. We we don't even know what it's about. We don't know the official name or title of it. We all are calling it GTA 6, but that doesn't mean that's what it's going to be called. We don't know. We don't know what it looks like. We don't know how it plays. We don't know what storyline it follows. We don't know if, uh, if, when, and what is happening with it. We have no idea the release date. We don't know. There are leaks. There are rumors, but nothing that is officially published so if they were to release gta 6 next year they're releasing it on such minimal information to the consumer just general hype that surely after the success of gta 5 there's got to be a next one right red dead 2 was a hit i mean in a great game so like logically But I honestly don't think that is fair to the consumers. Even though we've been waiting for 10 years. That doesn't mean the game has been in development for 10 years. Three console generation cycles. GTA 5 came out on the PS3 and Xbox 360. And since then, we've jumped from that to the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. And to the now, uh, you know... Se- Xbox series and PlayStation 5. And we are almost halfway into that console generation cycle. By the time it releases next year, it'll be near 11 years since the first not the first, since the fifth game came out. Someone did an interesting uh, statistic in the first 10 years of, G- uh, of Rockstar, excuse me, coming out. they released 23 different games. In the last ten years that Rockstar has been out, they've released five games. And two of those were remakes and remasters. Nuts. Just nuts. They've been milking GTA 5 to death. And leaving poor Red Dead 2 online in the dust. So here's my thing. One of the head people behind gta has left rockstar there's been turmoil obviously this game has probably gone through development hell this has not been an easy process are you kidding me you really think they wanted to stay stuck on the old gta 5 for this long i doubt it i doubt it i think they wanted to have the next gta out within the next console cycle you know or at the very least by around 2020 If they released GTA 6 in 2020 for the next-gen consoles, holy fuck. That would have been insane. Everyone was at home. They would have made more money than they would have known what to do with. Obviously, that's not feasible, but my point is, I don't think any dev wants to wait 10 years to get their next big entry or sequel out after the previous one is one of the most well-regarded and highest-grossing video games of all time. Just, it doesn't make sense. Five or six years, maybe, just to give it time in the oven, but 10? Nah, that's weird. And if this game is as big and as complex as people are saying it is, which I don't know if it could be, but if it is, it's going to be a myriad of issues that have plagued the AAA gaming sphere. Sphere, excuse me. And those issues are going to bog down this game. But first and foremost, before we even worry about that, here's my biggest thing. This game has to play like a modern third-person shooter. It cannot just look pretty and have a bunch of shit to do. That's all well and good. They gotta ditch these old, broken-ass, janky physics. It's slow, it's cumbersome, and it's unfun. When you're on console, the only efficient way to shoot in GTA V is having it just snap and lock on. And it doesn't have to be like this. There are plenty of third-person shooters that are great. And even though Starfield isn't the greatest game ever, it is a great mechanical improvement over Bethesda's formula. And one of the biggest things they did is they massively reduced the amount of uh, boredom that could be uh, brought upon the player. And they overhauled the combat mechanic. It is the best playing, fighting... uh... you know... Bethesda game I've ever played. So... take that with what you will. But yeah, I think... It's just, it's interesting when you look at this stuff. So. It it can grow. It can be improved. It doesn't have to stay the same. But sometimes they do that anyway. And I don't really know why. Why not improve it? Why not spend the time to improve it? And I don't just mean graphic fidelity. I mean in every mechanic. Do stuff that we don't see coming. COD is caught in this weird area where it is just doing exactly what everyone expects. And nothing more, nothing less. And in some areas, that's okay. That's consistency, that's pattern. And for a casual annual shooter like COD, it's expected. But they could still innovate and do some things. And improve their formula and sharpen what they already have going for them not dull it out it doesn't make sense but that's okay so yeah that's about it GTA 6 we have an official confirmation that we will be seeing more it is rumored that we will be seeing a trailer at the game awards on December 7th it makes a lot of sense it's about a month away from the announcement that they are saying The first week of December, yada, 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 da. So timelines would be, you know, we see the first CGI trailer and an announcement. Then the following days to rise to ride that momentum, they'll probably do like their own GTA panel, right? Rockstar will probably host their own live stream event for an hour or 90 minutes the following week or weekend or something of that like that, Right and talk about more of the details of the game and then in the coming months we'll get gameplay trailer and possibly like a release date announcement and then uh yeah that's about it then we will be getting GTA Crazy to think. So, yeah. All right. That's pretty much all the news. I wanted to talk more about it, but I kind of lost my train of thought, it's been a few days, so I apologize. But yeah, there's a lot of new stuff coming down. Um, Elden Ring DLC, God willing. Uh we'll probably also see gameplay trailer for that at the game awards. Shaping up to be a busy announcement of sequels and stuff. Uh people are upset with the new COD Modern Warfare three. Uh devs are saying exactly what I mentioned earlier. Um the game just came out and people are saying, Oh, it's you know, da 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 it's underwhelming, it's all that and devs are like we didn't have as much time to make it which almost certainly confirms this was originally going to be an expansion and then they switched gears so it's pretty fascinating to see that anyway thank you all for listening i hope you have a great day and i'll talk to you later on psychic slots peace and love